Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. At Igniting Your Faith, we strive to motivate listeners toward a full life in Jesus Christ by sharing the love and life-changing force of God's Word. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Good morning. My name is Portia. Some of you know me. Some doesn't know me. Uh, I'm very happy to be here this morning, uh, especially to be in this pulpit. Uh, it is my pleasure and honor to be trusted with the things of God. Uh, as much as it's my calling to preach, it is one of the most humbling moments to reflect and think, think through what God is saying to us. The hymn that we just sang, All for a Thousand Angels to Sing, had been speaking to me for almost uh, two months now. I was in my office one day studying and trying to make sense of the things that I was reading. And this tune kept on singing in my head, uh, and it kept on playing and playing that I couldn't concentrate. Uh, I walked out to the front desk, and uh, there was Joanne and Lizzie, Lizzie Fisher. And I hummed the tune to them and asked them, do you know this song? And they were so very uh, generous to help me find this song, and finally we find it. I really felt in love with this song from that day. Uh, the words, they spoke to me. I even take a step further to try to figure out who wrote this song and why did he wrote it. I found out it was wrote by Charles Wesley uh, as a celebratory song for his conversion. And in this song, he is uh, wishing if he, he had a thousand tongues, he would praise God. Why? Because God has done so many things to him. He was one, at some point on his deathbed that God visited him and said, told him, you are healed, just believe. And when he rose up from deathbed, that's when he realized, I wish I could have just a thousand tongues that I could just praise God. Amen. I feel the same this morning, that God has done so much to me. I have so much to share from my African perspective, from my African life. And I, I'm still working on crossing the cultural barrier and the language barrier. And always when I sing it, I put more emphasis on the last verse, especially when I am in this pulpit. The last verse which says, my gracious master and my God assist me to proclaim and to spread through the earth abroad the honors of thy name. And so it is my prayer this morning that I can fail to say whatever I would like to say, whatever I've read in the Bible, whatever I've researched in the commentary, but may his word be proclaimed unto you. Only his word, not my word. Amen. For some weeks, we have been wandering around the Exodus story, and we have heard how God had rescued the Israelites from the cruel hand of Pharaoh. The development of the story has its up and downs. Um, 
But from chapter 20, we see a kind of smooth flow of events. The Israelites are far away from Israel. Uh, they have received manna in the desert, and now they are at Mount Sinai. They heard God's voice, they received the law, and they promised to obey God. In chapter 28, we hear Aaron the priest is praised, and God gave orders for his special garments. And in this particular text, Moses is up on the mountain receiving directions to build the tabernacle and to receive the law on scribe of stone tablets. Israel as people is now free and secure, and their relationship with God seemed to be growing. At this point, as a reader, I look forward to Moses' coming back from the mountain with the tablets of law, giving feedback to the people about God, and people getting excited about the tabernacle. But to my shock, here we are in chapter 32, the golden calf. It doesn't make any sense. Just yesterday, the people were given the law, which even states that do not have other gods besides me. And the people responded, we will obey God. All of a sudden, we are in chapter 32, the golden calf. Israel's people asking Aaron, make us gods, a God who will go before them, for they don't know what happened to Moses, their fellow, who brought them out of Egypt. Honestly, one can wonder, how did we get here? Where is this coming from? After all what God had done for these people, how God had showed himself to them at Red Sea. In the desert, without food, God provided manna. At Mount Sinai, God reveals himself in a cloud and they even heard his voice. They received his Ten Commandments, and they agreed to obey God. And now when things seem to be flourishing, when the relationship between God and the Israelites seem to be mature, the golden calf idea interjects. Why? Had they not seen enough of this God? Had they not received enough from him? Why such a betrayal? What's wrong did God do to Israel that they would think of such a deadly sin just to disregard God? Indeed, this is heartbreaking. It's a very heartbreaking moment for God as a parent and for Moses as a leader. A moment that we see how as people we struggle to be the humans that God created us to be. We are not grateful of what God has done. As if to say, when things start to flourish, when we are successful in our life, affluent begets amnesia. We tend to forget. When God blesses us, we forget. I wonder if it is just human nature to want God so much when we do not have nothing. When we have something, we forget. I remember when I was living in Zimbabwe, my grandma's words speak to me every day. She said, Portia, 
in all what you are going to be. Stay humble and remember your God. Remember how much God loves you, for he had favored you among all other kids in this village who had better upbringing than you. It's you who is living for the U.S., my granddaughter. Fear this God. From that day, it was always in my prayer, God help me not to forget your goodness. Whether I will live in a mansion or drive the best car ever, God help me not to forget that one day I was just a village girl, a pedestrian with nothing. But through your grace, God, you changed my life. It is my prayer even for my kids that even as they walk in the streets of America where lights shine throughout, let them not forget that we are here because of God. Friends, forgetfulness is very dangerous. It takes away the roots and fiber of faith from you. It is dangerous to forget, especially to forget your creator. It's like a river forgetting its source. And you know what? Soon, it will dry up. The Israelites, in the middle of Exodus journey, not yet at the promised land, but on the way to becoming, they forget they once been slaves. They forgot who saved them. They forgot who walked with them to this far. Within a period of 40 days without Moses, they could not wait longer. They lost patience in God who had been with them for over a year now, revealing to them the things of his secrets. In this moment, Israel yearns for an immediate available God. They cannot tolerate the holiness of Yahweh that marks God with freedom, the God's freedom that he can be absent, remote, or inaccessible. And so Aaron must make a God who is able and willing to respond to Israel's religious hunger, a God they could see, a God they could touch a God they can make from the things that God had gifted them. And remember, they are going to use gold that God blessed them from the Egyptians, and they want a God they can control. At this moment, they are all covered in the spirit of wanting to control, that even Aaron the priest could not resist the temptation. He easily gives into the idea and agreed to make this God they can control. Although some think Aaron did this because he feared the Israelites so much that they could even kill him, but I would have expected a little pushback from him because he is a priest. He has been chosen by God. He knows the things of God. But no, he just jumped in and do the work just to please the people. And it could be that he sees an opportunity to control and to create name for himself in the absence of Moses. Indeed, so much wanting to control everything, anything, is the basis for creating gods, for creating idols. And the recipe is simple as it is stated in Exodus. What you only need to create an idol or a god in small g 
is only a measure of a substance that is most valuable in the community, and in this case, it's gold. You are also need just a shape, a mold, to shape the gold. Here, the mold that is readily available for iron is the calf. The calf, which is an idea they borrowed from Egypt, is in, from Egyptian gods. In Egypt, the calf is a symbol and an embodiment of nourishment, fertility, strength, power, and capacity to generate new life. The Israelites wanted to control their lives so much that they could trade God with God. They wanted to be self-sufficient and they were against the God of Exodus who orders the ways. With God, form, and imagination, Israel traded the majesty of God with mere creature that they made with their own hands. Trading God with something lesser than them as human beings, they made a golden calf, made sacrifices, rituals to it, and danced around it. So much hunger to control, so much hunger for power who lead us to idol worship. This transaction has been going on up to today in our contemporary world, we are trading the majesty of God. Yes, God, gold is still on the top of trading God. For in my culture they say, money talks, money speaks. One who has money has the voice. We had seen this happen in schools, in churches. The biggest donor has the biggest voice. No matter how wrong they are, Money speaks. We have traded God for the fame of celebrity in our contemporary world. The focus had shifted from God and from us. We want people to see me. I am the transparent I. If all the eyes can look up to me, I can make money with subscribers, with views. No matter how much I gain that fame, whether it's porn, whether it's just junk stuff, as long as people look at me. We have become such a control freak that we have no time to listen to each other and to appreciate each other. In our conversations, it's all about scoring points. Look at me, listen to me. And no matter how far away, we are from the truth, as long as people look at me. In such a culture that idolatry is rampant in every corner as Christians, we are called not to be idols, but to be icons, that people see God through us, not to see us. We want to be in charge so badly and forget that God is watching, he is hearing, and he is angry. What our generation and what Israel misses in all this process of God making is that Yahweh, God, cannot be reproduced by either whim or the people or inventiveness of the priest. No matter how much pressure, no matter how much frustrations or pains, no one can make God. 
No matter how much knowledge, no matter how much wealth, no one can make God. If we are to, what we are making are idols. Whatever we treasure more than God, whatever drives our thoughts and actions becomes an idol. And these idols douse our spiritual hearing and harden our hearts to the things of God. God of Exodus is a lively subject and not manipulated object. And whilst they were making their gods, God was watching. He knows what exactly was happening down the hills as he is watching us right now. He knows what is happening in our closets. He knows what is happening in our churches. He knows what is happening everywhere. For he is the unmoved mover of the cosmos. He is Yahweh, the one who makes everything into being, the one who makes everything into existence. Without him, we are nothing. No matter how self-sufficient we are, no matter how affluent we are, without God, people, we are nothing. In this case of Israel, God was angry. God is not happy when people shift focus from him and tend to focus on them and the things that God gave him. God was angry, and he told Moses, look, your people, what they are doing. They had turned away from me. I am ready to destroy them, and I can make the next generation on you. But hear what Moses says. Moses stood up for the people and intercedes for Israel. Not just prayers for the people, but intense intercession, reminding God of his promises and how this will vindicate the enemy, and God changed his mind. This doesn't mean that God is weak. But he is our loving father, who even when we go far away from him, when we call on him, he hears us. Church, I think we all agree. The world is in a mercy and need intercessors like Moses, who doesn't look for an opportunity to gain their name big, but to rise up in prayer and ask God for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who Charles Wesley sang in this hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, and his blood is avowed for us. Remember, friends, Sinai is not the promised land. We still have a way to go affluent or self-sufficient, safe and secure from all alarms is not the promised land. The land of promise is the place where we all focus on God as our creator and relate to each other as human beings, as neighbors. The promised land is a land where God is loved above all things, where neighbors, neighbors are loved like ourselves. This morning, we have the precious opportunity to go before him as we share in the Christ's meal. May we take a moment of silence to cry out our transactions, especially those of making idols out of earthly things and people.
in place of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkillhaven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.